Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Pray with me if you would. Lord Jesus, we do turn our eyes to you. We want to see you, Lord Jesus, in all of your beauty and glory and power and strength. We look forward to that day we just sang about of your return to take your chosen ones home to be with you forever. And we're so grateful that we live with that hope, that confident assurance that as we face God, this world and its brokenness, we know, we know our Redeemer lives. We know you're alive and that you are present with us, working in us. You have great plans to take us home to be with where you are one day. And then to come back and redeem this place, this space for your great glory. Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. We turn our eyes to you because the world that we live in at moments feels like it's disintegrating around us, the violence, the suffering. God, we need to look to you. We look to you for how we need to live in a perverse and broken world, in a world of pain and sorrow. Jesus, we look to you because we also suffer. We suffer with physical illness. We suffer, God, with emotional strain. We, we suffer relational brokenness. Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Grateful to know that you see us and know us and care. That we matter. That you have a plan and you are working your plan in us. Restoring, redeeming, reviving us, oh God. Jesus, We turn our eyes to you in these moments because we need a word from you, O God, a word about how to live in the midst of this world, how to walk in this world, how to experience life in your kingdom as you have laid out. And so we come, Jesus, to keep our eyes on you, submitting ourselves to your full authority and the authority of your word. And so we come now to open our hearts asking you to speak into them your word. And so, Jesus, I pray that as I open it, you would hide me behind your cross, Jesus, so that you will be seen, that you will be lifted up, that your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your hope and your plans would be seen above anything else. We worship you. We look to you now. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, thank you, and uh, yes, you may be seated. I made the, um, the fatal error of uh, suggesting that in the first service that, hey, take a load off, and um, you know, that, that, can, uh, that, that can be unkind to say if you're not careful, if it's taken the wrong way. Hey, happy Father's Day to you dads that are with us today. We're so glad uh, that you are here and um, are present. Um, I, I am going to spend most of my time targeting men today. The, the, I entitled today's message, um, God's Man Plan, We Take a Stand. In, in God's plan, that's what we do. We, we take a stand. And um, so I, I need to make a, um, a clarifying statement to the ladies in the house today. Okay? So um, some of what... I may say today, our culture and women in our culture may find a bit offensive. And I'm not going to apologize for that in advance, just so you know. Um, If you know me, uh, you know that I honor, value, trust, uh, am grateful to God for the women that he put in my life personally in this church. And so... The words that I'm going to share, I'm going to be targeting mostly men today, but um, I want you to know in no way, if you you take them uh, in in ways that may be demeaning, I'm fearful that the enemy may attack your mind 
and take you places that you don't want to go and keep you there longer than you need to stay. And so um, th- this is a little bit of a precursor, if, if you would, here. Um, and what I would encourage you to do, uh, ladies, for the most part, is to, to take what I'm going to share, uh, kind of aimed at men, and, and kind of ask, well, what is my role in supporting my, my husband uh, in this, or my male, my, my male children in this? What, what does that look like? And I would invite you to pray about these things and into these things and over these things I share. So that's all of the disqualifiers that I'm going to give to this message. Um, and uh, some of you are probably going to get to the end and say, well, that was a lot of build up for nothing. I hope that's not true. Um, but I do want to speak uh, to, to men, especially today. I'll take a drink of water first. I read a story recently about uh, a man and his family, and he had... Uh, he was kind of raised in the country. He was a country boy, and um, he moved into the city, got married, had a family, and had a couple of kids. One of them was a, a, a boy, and about the time his son was a, you know, about a 15-year-old, uh, kind of approaching and heading into manhood, um, there was an economic downturn, and the man had to take his family and move them back to the country to um, some land that he had inherited from his grandparents that had been his grandparents' farm. He had kind of grown up there. And so he moves his family there, and there, there are lots of things about the country that his teenage son does not like. And one of the things he hates most about country living is the outhouse. Young man hated the outhouse. He hated having to go to the bathroom at the outhouse. The outhouse was kind of up on a little hill, kind of behind the house. And on the other side of the hill, there was this creek, and um, one day... He had to participate in the outhouse experience, and he walked up the hill, and he got there, and the longer he walked, the angrier he got about his dad dragging him out here and having to use this outhouse. And so when he, when he finally arrives, instead of opening the door, he puts his hand on the outhouse, and he just shoves it down the other side of the hill, and it ends up in the creek. And so he goes on to school, and uh, when he gets home uh, later that afternoon, his dad is waiting on him, which is unusual. His dad's normally working, you know, out in the fields, and, but his dad is waiting on him. And his dad asks him, son, did you push the outhouse over this morning? And his son said, well, yes, dad, I, I, I did. I'm, I'm the one who did that. And his, his dad said, son, there's going to be some consequences, some, some significant consequences for, for that choice that you make. And his son kind of responded, but, but dad, you know, when, when George Washington was honest about chopping down the cherry tree, there were no consequences mentioned. He, he you know, he kind of got let off the hook because he had been so honest, to which his dad replied, yes, son. But when George Washington chopped down the cherry tree, his dad was not in it. (laughs) Son had made not only a really bad choice of pushing the outhouse over, but doing it with his father inside. And he had to face the consequences of those choices. Friends, we live in a day when choices have to be made. We live in a day in a culture that has really come to a fork in the road in so many ways. And when you look at what's happening all around us, there's chaos, there's confusion, just a great lack of clarity. There's so many voices coming at us from every direction. And it's time for us, and especially for Christian men, to take a stand like never before. Now, choice is the ability, it's the God-given ability that we have to make decisions regarding options that are before us. And with all the voices that are clamoring in our culture, we've got to be real clear about the choices that we're making and and take a stand on those. There's lots of views out there about what's going in our world, views that compete with God and His purposes and His ways. And God, God in His great grace... He wants to know that by his grace, his word is going to be what determines our choices. 
Now, as much as our culture needs to hear the Word of God, and it does, it also needs to see the Word of God lived out in the lives of His people. They desperately needed to see it. It's not in your notes. It's not going to come up on the screen. You can write it down and go back and look at it. But in Proverbs 29, 18, you may know it. it, it God's Word says, where there is no vision, the people perish. New American Standard, or excuse me, New Living Translation says they run wild. The Living Bible translates it, crime runs wild. But I don't know how, how, how much more we could kind of see that in our world today. It just looks like everything's running wild. But it says because there's a lack of vision. There's a lack of an ability of God's people to show to the world what they need to see. See, God, the world needs to visualize God's word living out of us. And that's why I want us to look at two verses today in Joshua chapter 24 that call us to this. Call us to take a stand. So if you have your Bibles, open in the Joshua chapter 24. I want to read uh, just two verses this morning. We're going to start in verse 14. This is Joshua before his nation. He says, now therefore fear the Lord. And serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your your sight to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods that your fathers served in the region beyond the river. Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me... And my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the word uh, of the Lord. Now, here's a man, Joshua, who makes a choice in his culture. He, he, he decides to make, take a stand. Now, remember the context of this. He, he's concerned about the people of God who, uh, who were held in captive for 400 years. God brought them out of captivity, uh, those years in slavery, and brought them into a, a promised land. But uh, Joshua sees that even though they're out of Egypt, Egypt isn't completely out of them, that some of the habits they picked up there, they've now translated to this, this place they're now living. And he knows that if it continues, there's going to be this tendency in their lives to want, you know, the, the blessing of God without choosing God, to want his, his benefits and his, the, the benefits of his promises without choosing to submit themselves to serving God. And Joshua wants to make it clear, you're not in Egypt anymore. And even in this new place where you're living right now, you're surrounded again by a secular culture. And so Joshua is saying, don't let the place where you're living define the decisions that you need to be making. Friends, we're, we're hearing voices all around us in the place where we're living, trying to tell us who we are how we ought to operate, what we ought to think, even about our own identities, how we should act, what we should believe, what we should even feel. And those voices are coming at us hot and heavy, right where we live, work, and play. Even coming into our homes through programming on on television. Joshua says, look, I've made the ultimate decision under which all my other decisions will flow, and it's not going to be defined by the culture around me, but by the Christ in me, by God's working in me, by my commitment to the word and will of God. Joshua knew how the the pressure of the Egyptian culture had distorted God's people. He saw how the culture they were now living in, the Amorite culture, were once again just destroying. And he knew that if this tendency continued, they would always live in spiritual compromise. Friends, one of the things that is disheartening about our day is watching a generation of, of men regular church attending men who are spiritually compromising in the world. You know, one way at church, a different way at work. Living, living different lives. You know, they leave what God thinks and what God says and allows what man thinks and what man thinks to override the authority of God and his word, which means they're not taking God's plan uh, at, at value. They're not taking a stand. Now, taking a stand doesn't mean you deny your reality. 
Taking a stand doesn't mean you deny your, your humanity. It just says that I'm choosing to be subject to a greater authority than myself, than the way I see things. You know, God did not in that day want his people playing with idols. And he doesn't want people in our day, his people playing with idols. See, an idol is any unauthorized person, place, thing, or thought, unauthorized by the word of God, that you begin to look at as your primary source, a a, a primary source for you. You know, in, in our day, here in America... We, we still have idols. They, they're, they're a little more sophisticated. They're not necessarily these clay statue things. They can be technology. They can be your politics can be an idol. Your, your ethnicity can become an idol. Your education, your income, your career, anything that overrules God's authority can become an idol in your life. It can even be your family. Your family can become an idol. It's anything including you. See, you can become your own idol. That, that's true for a lot of people. It's anything that overrules God. It becomes an idol in your life. And you need to understand that God has this, he has this exclusivity clause. He will not let a second deity exist in his realm. He, he's not going to let that happen. He's going to, he's going to begin to tear it down, if there's a competing deity in his vicinity that's in your, your life or your heart. And, and a great concern that I have with all the cultural turmoil that's going on is that there's this tendency that we want, we want God, we want to be able to pray to God, we want to, want to be able to come to a place like this, but we want to stick with our competing idols that we're still trying to entertain. And here's what happens the moment you do that. You stiff arm God. You hold God at arm length. You may attend church. You may attempt prayer. You, you may even try to engage the culture a little bit. But we don't need God a little bit. We need God right smack dab in the middle of all that's going on in our hearts, minds, and souls. We need him deep in. And that requires that we, and especially men in the church, take a stand. You know, too many people and, and too many men today want a, a cafeteria God, a God that we can kind of pick and choose when we want him to show up, where we want him to show up, and when and where we don't want him to show up, that we can kind of control. And friends, the God of all creation is not that kind of God. And he is not looking for those kinds of men that want a God like that. In Ezekiel chapter 22 we see that God is looking for a man so he doesn't have to curse the land. But he, he couldn't find one, and so the land was cursed. And I don't know about you, but when I look out at our culture, it looks cursed today. We, it looks like we lived in a culture that, that is cursed. And I just, I'm just throwing the question out there. Is it because we, and I'm including myself in this, Is it because we, as men of God, can't be located? We're we're not taking a stand. We're not distinguishable from our our culture. So if you are a man, you got to take a stand. We've got to take a stand. And I want us to look a little closer at three places where Joshua takes a stand. The first place that I want us to look at is we must take a stand that is, first of all, personal. Personal. Joshua starts with himself. Joshua says, as for me. Friends, if we want to see change come, if we want to see it come in our nation, if we want to see it come in you know, our, our schools, if we want to see it come in our communities, in our own families, it's got to come first here. It's got to come first in us. Joshua says in verse 15, but as for me, as for me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to serve God. This is a decision that somebody else can't make for you. Your mama can't make this for you. Your spouse can't make this for you. This is a decision you have to make. And as a father and as a man, as a husband, you've got to decide, I want to take this stand. I want to take a personal stand before the Lord. You've got to decide, this is how I'm going to roll. This is where I'm going to come from. I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus Christ. You're going to want that known about you. 
Now, I'm not talking about being, you know, mean about it. I'm talking about being men about it. Not being caustic, but being, being clear. Not uh, kind of coming at the culture with, with rage, but coming at the culture with a heart of redemption. We can do that and still take a stand. It's being, being clear that I follow Jesus Christ. That's, that's who I follow in our everyday lives. You know, in our world today, everybody likes to tell you who they're following. You know, I follow so-and-so, I follow this person. Why should we be vague about who we follow? Why, why should there be any, any ambiguity to it? Why, why, we need to be clear. For me, as for me, I'm going to serve and follow the Lord. And then Joshua kind of moves on to the second place he's going to take a stand. And please hear me say this. You cannot take this stand in the second place if you are not taking it in the first place. You, got, you, got, you, you can't take this stand. You will cause much harm and damage in your home if you try to take this next stand without having clearly taken that personal stand. I've watched men do this and blow up their families. You've got to own that place of standing first before you try to take the second stand. Joshua's second place where he took a stand, after he stood personally... And this, this word's going to get me in some trouble with some people. I know that up front, okay? But we must take, men, we must take a stand that is patriarchal. Oh, yeah, I said the P word. You know, a patriarchal society. But I'm talking about God's word's definition when he talks about the patriarchs. See, God's vision is for a man of authority to first be under God's authority. Here's what we've had. We've had too many men in the church trying to bark out authority in their homes who will not stay under God's authority themselves first. They keep wiggling out from under God's authority. You know, godly authority, brothers, is much more about responsibility and accountability for leading your family than it is for anything else. It's much more about responsibility and accountability. And it's a role that we should be grateful to have, but it's a role that requires the greatest of humility. And so Joshua personally first humbles himself under the authority of God. And then he's able to go to the next place to take his stand. He says, ask for me, and then he brings in, and my house. You see that in verse 15? Joshua says, but as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. He takes responsibility now and takes a stand for his family. And I want you to notice, he didn't take a vote. He didn't take a poll. He took a stand. Why? Because in the Bible, in, in God's word, the dad, the father, would be responsible by God for the direction of his family. Not all the details of family life, but the, the major direction I don't know if you've noticed this phrase that appears. It's very prominent in the Old Testament. It even shows up in the New Testament. It's the phrase, the God of Abraham, of, Jake, of Isaac, and Jacob. You remember, you remember seeing that phrase? He's the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. You won't find, you will not find this phrase in the Scriptures, the God of Sarah and Rebekah and Rachel. Now, that's not because women aren't essential and critical and strategic to God's redemptive plan. They are. They are... Uh, critical and central and strategic to God's plan for the family. They absolutely are. But because to God, the man would be the one, he would hold accountable and responsible for the primary direction. The post that he gives a man is a little different. Bible history, we're going back to Genesis chapter 3 and the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have sinned. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 3 that God came walking to them in the cool of the day. And he asked a question. And the first question that God asked is, Adam, where are you? Now, do you think God did not know that Eve was culpable in the sin? God knew. But he didn't ask Eve, where are you? Or Adam and Eve, where are you? God said, Adam, where are you? 
God knew Adam's wife was involved, but God is coming to Adam saying, Adam, I'm holding you responsible. I'm holding you accountable. You know, God's word says that in Adam all died. Not, not, not in Adam and Eve. And this was God's way of holding the man responsible. You know, in Luke chapter, chapter 12, verse 48, it's not going to come up on the screen, but in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus says, much is required to those to whom much has been given, for their responsibility is greater. Men, we have a greater responsibility under God. We're going to be held to a, a higher accountability standard for the direction of our families. Joshua gets this, and he accepts the challenge. He accepts the responsibility. He accepts the, uh, the, the accountability, and that's why Joshua, when he looks at that, he thinks, oh, my goodness, the only way for me to live this out is i got to get under the authority of God i got to come under the authority of God if I'm going to try to provide authority to my family. And so Joshua is able to say, you know, as for me and my kids, we're going to serve the Lord. My kids aren't going to get to make the decisions about direction of our family. Friends, there are far too many homes where children are making the decision for the direction of those homes. And it will destroy them eventually they can't they can't make those decisions and 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 husbands as much as you love your spouse god has not called them to make uh, the, the the final decision and direction god has has said don't you let them overrule me and see that's what god god told adam god god said to adam because you let your wife overrule me and overrule my words, chaos is coming, man. It's coming in your life. It's going to come in your family. It's going to come in your, in your world. So Joshua, Joshua takes a stand in authority, under authority. He takes the responsibility and the accountability that God had assigned him. And so he speaks for his house now out of that context. Brothers, we need... Men, in this generation and the one to come, who will, who will take that responsibility and accountability and not just use words, not just throw words at it, but live it out. It's our great honor. It's our great privilege from the Lord. It's not to be a burden, but it's only going to flow out of that personal walk. You've got to first take that personal stand. Ask for me before you can ever come at your house, men. You gotta you gotta walk that walk, you gotta take that stand. Does your family see you walking that way? Do they see you walking that way? Or or is your wife the one having to carry kind of the spiritual care and welfare of your home? You know, I, I know I know men who have no problem making it to work on time. But their lot wives have to drag them out of bed to get them to come to church. Because they want to. You know, they want to sleep in and send them. And we need men who will rise up and say, no, I'm going to lead the way on this. I'm going to be responsible and accountable unto God. I'm going to take the lead for the spiritual welfare of my home. Sometimes men will say, but she knows more than me about the Bible. Aren't you glad it has nothing to do with knowledge but about position? It has to do with the post to which you have been assigned by the Lord God Almighty, the King of Angels' armies. If you need to, to know about a structure, a military structure, keep your post. Stand at, stand at the post God has given you. It, it's not about knowledge. It's about the leadership that God has given to you as a dad. Now, here's the cool thing. You can grow in knowledge. You can grow in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord. So do it. Get, get busy about it. Spend time in God's Word. But please do this so that you can receive the covering of God. And brothers, please hear me say this. This is about covering. This is about experiencing the covering of God. Covering of God, Because until you as a man let God cover you, you'll never see him properly covering your household. Never see him properly covering your family and your kids and your grandkids. Joshua says, as for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. 
We're not going to let our neighbors control what goes on. We're not going to let, you know, our kids' friends from school decide what's going on. You, you ever heard kids maybe coming home and say, well, my friends say they do so-and-so at their house. Well, dads, let me, as, as a dad, in a spirit of gentleness and kind clarity, you just, you just say to your kids, there's a difference here. And, and, and this is the difference. In, in this house, we serve God. So we don't, we don't go that way. We don't do those things. We don't use that profanity. We don't engage in that programming because this is, this is God's home. Why do we want it to be God's home? Because we want God's protection. We want God's provision. We want, we want God's covering. See, in our, in our generation, far too many men who regularly attend church, they want God's covering for their wives, for their kids, for their, for their grandkids. They want God's covering for their careers and their, their 401ks, but they will not take a stand. They will not visibly represent God. They won't do it personally, and they won't do it patriarchally in, in, the, in their homes. And Joshua, Joshua did. He took a stand personally. He took a stand in his role as the patriarch of his family. But there's one more stand that he took. And men, we need to do this. We need to take a stand as protagonists. We need to take a stand as protagonists in our culture. Now, please make sure you heard what word I chose. I did not say antagonist. Far, far too many. One of the great problems that I see in our world for the witness of Jesus Christ is we've got too many antagonists and not enough protagonists. Too many anti and not enough pro, known more for what we're against than what we're for. See, the definition of a protagonist is simply this. They're a lead character. They're a main figure or one of the most prominent figures in a real situation. And they are the advocate and champion of a particular cause or idea. Brothers, we need to be protagonists in our culture. Joshua took a stand personally. He took a stand in his family. And then he stands up in his culture. Look at the rest of, of verse 15. Joshua said, this is the beginning part of it. He said, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you'll serve. ESV, uh, NASB says, if it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, NIV says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, Joshua is saying, if it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, let me tell you what I'm going to do. It may, you may disagree with this. And so he's speaking to his culture now. He's speaking to, to, to his nation. He's not just talking to himself. He's not just talking to his family. He's talking to his whole culture. And he takes a personal stand there. He stands there, and he becomes this leader of a movement for God. He becomes this, this leader for this. He says, even if it's disagreeable to you, even if you completely disagree with me, here's where I'm going. Friends, we need men of God to rise up with that kind of spiritual backbone. Men, men who properly love themselves out of their identity in Christ. Men who lovingly lead their families as dad, the family shepherd. And men who love their, their neighbors. Who love the broken world that they live in. Who love the, their, their cities. But are crystal clear, I'm not going that way. I'm not walking that way. My place of business may, may head in that direction, but I'm not going there. I'm going in another direction. Did, did you guys see um, here recently that there were, uh, I think it was five players on the Major League Baseball team, the Tampa Bay Rays, and they said, you know what? Because of my faith, I cannot wear that rainbow emblazoned jersey. They took, they took a stand. They were not antagonistic. They were very, very humble. They just said, I can't participate in this Pride Week stuff. They were not antagonists. They were protagonists. They, may, they said, my place of business may go this way, but I'm going a different direction. Friends, your political party may go, not want to go where you go. Teenagers, your, your class in high school, they may, may not want to go where you go. 
the culture may not want to go where, where you're going. And you've got to say, as for me in my house, it may seem disagreeable to you, but here's where, here's where I'm going. We've got to be clear. Not just in our personal lives, not just in our private home life, but in the public square. We need for men of God to rise up and take a stand in the public square for their faith. Because we're facing some incredibly critical issues. We're not just in a pandemic of health. We've got a political pandemic going on. We've, we've got a violence pandemic. We're, we've got a sexuality and gender uh, confusion pandemic. We're still dealing with a racial pandemic in our nation. We're living in a death culture pandemic in our nation. And the only way that those pandemics are going to get resolved is if men of God take a stand in the public square. Stand on, on the word of God. Now, brothers, please hear me say this. This is not about getting in somebody's face. It is simply about walking out God's grace. We got to remember and, and, and come, at this, come at this differently. Speaking out as a protagonist, not an antagonist. Speaking truth in love about what God says. You know, if we want to see racial injustice run out, if we want to see what God says order should be, if we want to see this gender dysphoria stuff find a, a good space, if we want to see healing come into the brokenness of our culture, that can happen, but it will only happen as men of God rise up and step into some of this. See, God's not left us clueless about his ultimate worldview in any matters. It's, it's, it's all found in his word. And Joshua just simply is stepping into this and says, if all of y'all disagree with me and the word of God, this is the direction I'm going. Now, Joshua was not disagreeing to be disagreeable. Have you ever met anybody like that? It just seems like they disagree just to be disagreeable. This is not what Joshua was doing. You don't, you don't disagree just to be disagreeable. You don't disagree just so you can look different and stand out like a sore thumb. Joshua is talking about being focused on God. And not just in his words, but in the way he lived. And here's how I know that. Because of the word he used, serve. He challenged them. He said, this is about who you're going to serve. Choose today who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we will serve. Brothers, sisters, in this culture, when we stand, we must stand as servants. We must stand as servants. It's absolutely critical today that we have a generation of servant leaders. That we have men who are good quarterbacks. Did you know that's what a quarterback is? A quarterback is a servant leader to their team. That's what a good quarterback does. He takes the ball from center. He, he steps back, heading into the pocket, even ha ha handing the ball off or passing it off. And the opposition has one goal. What's the opposition's goal? Kill him. That, that's their goal. Stop him at all costs. Sack him before he can hand it off or throw it. Hit him so hard this time that he'll think twice before he runs the next play. And see... A good quarterback knows he's going to take a hit. He's going to take a hit. That, that, that's just going to come. Brothers, there is an opponent out there that does not want to see you succeed. Doesn't want to see you run the plays that God is calling you to run. There's a culture out there that does not want you to exceed, that is going to oppose you, and you're going to get hit. See, a good quarterback understands one of the ways he serves his team is he has to take a hit sometimes. He has to take that hit. Even though the goal is to continue to move the ball forward, there's always going to be the opponent's resistance. And brothers, we got that too. The opponent is always going to resist. And friends, the resistance is growing in intensity. You know, we, we saw again this week a shooting at a church in Birmingham. This week in Charleston, we were reminded that seven years ago of the, the tragic shooting at a Mother Emanuel church. 
the intensity is growing. As the Supreme Court has talked about the decision that it looks like they're making in Roe v. Wade, we're, we're being told that there's an increase in attacks on churches and crisis pregnancy centers. And so here at River Bluff, one of the things we've become aware of, our elder team especially has become aware of, is we need more men, servant leaders who will rise up and help us as watchmen and do some walk around and protection while our services are going on. It's not, you know, this isn't about packing heat. This is about watching and knowing how to sound the alarm and knowing how to shut down our doors rather quickly. And all it requires is that maybe one Sunday a month you would say for one of those services, I'll, I'll be a watchman. I'll, I'll take a stand here in a culture that's decaying, in a culture that's resisting with greater intensity. I'll, I'll serve in that capacity. And I had some women after the last service say, can we yes, you can serve too. It's not a male-exclusive thing. But we do need men to rise up and do this, to say, I'll do this. And you can, you can sign up for this, and then we'll get you trained up. As, as soon as the service is over, this guy right here, right there, Scott Codkill, will be out at the welcome desk. And you can just see Scott and say, look, I'll sign up to serve maybe, maybe once a month, once a quarter. Here's, I, I will serve. I will, I, will, I will answer the call. I'll take a stand and help. I'll be a part of this in this culture that's resisting more and more. And let me say something else because I mentioned the Supreme Court decision. Friends, if, if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, there's going to be a creation of another set of sorrow in our culture that the church is the answer for. We have been begging God for 50 years to overturn Roe v. Wade as the people of God. And this is going to sound harsh, but now it's time, if God does that, for us to put up or shut up because there are going to be the potential for more orphans and more single moms who are going to struggle and they are going to need for us to not just share the gospel but to show the power of the gospel as we would come around as a church and step into ministry to these single moms and to these orphans God, God's calling us into this if God overturns Roe v. Wade It'll be time for the church to step up with gospel power in ways we've never stepped up before. That'll be part of the call on us. And men's hearts, men, we need to be ready for that. We need to be ready to step in to loving orphans, finding ways to encourage and supporting and helping single moms. That's what we need to do. And in order to do that, brothers, we've got to have God. We've got to have him... I started to say on our side, we got to be on his side. we we got to be on his side. We need God at work in us in order for healing and unity and oneness and justice and righteousness to come. And God is waiting for men to take their stand and to do it at all three levels that we've talked about. And to not do it alone, but do it together. We, we can't do this alone. We're, we're better off together. I heard a story recently about a wildlife photographer who had gone out into the jungle to do some, some photography, and he came upon this massive dead rhinoceros uh, with a pygmy standing on top of it. And this was a freshly killed rhinoceros. He was just dead as a doornail, and this pygmy was standing on top of it, and the man, the man looked at him and said, who, who killed this rhino? And the pygmy said, me. I did it. And the guy looked around and he didn't, he thought, there's no way that this little, little man killed this great big beast of a rhinoceros. And the guy said, okay, well, what did you use to kill him? He said, my club, my club. The guy said, well, how big is your club? Where is it? I, I don't see it. How big is your club? And the pygmy said, Ah, oh, there's about a hundred of us in my club. Men, if you're going to take on a big beast, you need a club. You need a club of brothers who are tenacious about the word of God. You can't do it on your own. You need a club. 
You need a small group of brothers who will come around you. You need what Joshua created. You need a covenant community. If you're going to take a stand as a servant in our world, you've got to take a stand in a covenant of community. See, a covenant of community is a, 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 a divinely created relational bond. We're told in this moment that he leads God's people to make a, a covenant so that they would stand together. See, our God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, and he wants his people to step and live in covenant with him and with each other. Look at this in Joshua chapter 24, down in verse 24. Joshua it says, said to the people, or the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committing them to follow the decrees and the regulations of the Lord. It was an agreement that said, we're going to serve in our culture, and we're going to serve together. Each man had to choose to lead himself first, and then his family into this covenant community. It was a choice. And you and I have a choice. And maybe like me, maybe you've made some bad choices at times. As a dad, as a husband, as a man. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you failed as a father, as a man, as a husband. Can I tell you some good news? God is in the covenant renewal business. No matter how bad you've blown it up until this point, God says, I can renew that. I can take that brokenness and renew it if you'll bring it to me. If you'll let me give leadership to it. You know, last week we looked at the prophet Elijah and his battle with depression. But there had been this moment in Elijah's life and ministry that was a little bit like this moment uh, in Joshua's life and ministry. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, it says, Elijah came near to all the people, and he said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? He's talking about choice again. It says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. This is so sad. But the people did not answer him a word. With Joshua, they said, we will serve God. We will be on mission with God. We, we, we and our families, we will serve the Lord. We will be part of a covenant community. But in Elijah's day, they didn't move. They didn't answer. They, they didn't make a choice. And to not make a choice is making a choice. And God is calling us as men of God, as the people of God, to make a choice. Jesus said... In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, I want you to see it in the Amplified Version. He said, if anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself, disregard, lose sight of, forget himself and his own interest, and take up his cross and follow me, which means to cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living and if need be in dying. See, Jesus is looking for his church to stand with him. He's looking for men to stand with him. He's looking for women and boys and girls, young and old alike. And I can't think of a better day to turn to your heavenly father on Father's Day in 2022 and say, ask for me and my house, whatever authority I have in it, we will serve the Lord. We're, we're going to do that together, me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. And then we're going to step out into our culture. And we're going to do this as a covenant community. And we're going to serve the Lord. So maybe today, what God is calling you to do is, is just run to your Father. Run, just run to your Heavenly Father and say, God, I want to stand with you. I want to stand with you personally. I want to stand with you privately in my home. And I want to stand with you in the public square, oh God. I want to take a stand with you. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come. 
in these moments. We come running to you. God, we know that we can't take a stand without you. We'd fall. We have before. Trying to stand in our own strength, walk in the flesh. But we're choosing this day to begin afresh. Holy Spirit, we want to walk by you. Not by our own sight, not in our own strength, but by you. And so, Father, we come. We come recommitting ourselves. First, ask for me. As for me, Lord, I'm coming running to you right now, bringing you my life, recommitting afresh today. Dear God, I want to stand for you and your purposes and your ways in a culture that is falling apart around me. I want you to use me, God. And Father, I'm going to bring my family as best as I can. I've failed them miserably in the past and I'm not going to, to push. I'm just going to lead them to follow you. I'm going to walk with you so passionately, God, that my family's going to want to fall in love with you. And Father, I'm going to, I'm going to run to you because I want to make a difference in my culture. I want to make a difference where... I live, work, play, educate. I want to make a difference there, God. I want to see your kingdom coming. And so I choose to take a stand for you. Not as an antagonist, but as somebody who is for you, oh God. So I come. Maybe you're here today. I don't know the condition of your heart, but maybe you're here today. And for the very first time, you realize that God has a plan. He has a plan for restoring our culture and our world and our homes and our families and even your own heart. And it just starts with you saying, as for me, Lord, I'll serve you. I'll bow the knee to you. I'll repent. I'll turn from my my pursuits of my selfishness and I'll turn myself to you, to your ways, your purposes, your plans. I'll make it about you, God. Jesus says, if you'll call on him that way, He'll save you. He'll let you be part of his plan, building his kingdom, bringing you joy. And he'll show you how to lead your family to take a stand. He'll show you how to stand faithfully in the eye of the storm in the public square. But it begins with you coming, running to your father. And you may have to do it again. And then you're going to have to do it again tomorrow. And you're going to have to do it again the next day. The question is, will you do that? Will you just run to your father? Say, here I am. I want to be that man who stands with you, God. With you as my father in heaven, I want to stand with you. Jesus, we come now. We began our service saying we want to put our eyes on you. Now we come in this moment where we want to say, we want to give our lives back to you again. It's in your name we pray. Amen.